Good evening. So nice to be with you guys tonight. As we continue <clears throat> our studies in 2 Corinthians today. So as you make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's ask the Lord to help us with this. So Father, we, <clears throat> we come to you with <clears throat> humble hearts, hearts that are grateful for what you've given us and what you're going to continue to do, your faithfulness in our lives. So thank you for that, Father. I pray that tonight um, it would be a blessing and be a, a great benefit to your people going through Scripture. I pray that your spirit would be the teacher, Father. Make application where it needs to be made. Do what only you can do is teach us, convict us, move us. Uh, and I pray as this happens, Father, that we would turn and that it would be for your glory and give it all to you and for your honor, because you are worthy of that praise. So, Father, be with us and match us in Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. Evidently, I'm <clears throat> going through puberty. <clears throat> <clears throat> hey, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be covering the topic of Christian giving. Chapters 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians has to do with what I would call grace giving, New Testament giving. And there's a lot of instructions, a lot of information that should be helpful to us. And you're stuck with me the next two weeks. I'm filling in. And so if you need to make plans next Wednesday, that's your warning, okay? Yeah. The topic of Christian giving. Oh, I'm not talking about obligatory or giving out of duty or obligation. I'm talking about true grace giving from the depths of a heart that's been moved and changed by God's grace through the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That kind of authentic giving is what we're talking about. And right away in chapter 8, we get a great example of some believers that are held up by the Apostle Paul that we are to learn from who got this kind of living. Paul ran into it when he was in Macedonia Check it out. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means and their own accord, begging us earnestly for the opportunity or favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's a lot in there. A lot of good stuff. What an example. What a blessing this group of believers in Macedonia give us and how to give. But before we get there, we should probably just give you a little bit of background. So you kind of get the landscape here. Okay, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is fundraising. Throughout his missionary journeys, he's fundraising for that church in Jerusalem. And at this time, the church in Jerusalem, really the mother church, right, that sparked all of Christianity, right, started right there in Jerusalem, is in dire straits financially. 
There's a great famine and drought in the land, and there's a lot of poverty-stricken uh, people and believers. And, and to add insult to injury, they're facing strict Jewish persecution at this time, right? The Jews didn't like the Christians at this time. So that led this church to be pretty much bankrupt. And a church that was really paramount on spreading Christianity and giving spiritually to the Gentile churches in the area, okay, those ones, now they are in need of these Gentile churches not providing for them spiritually, but practically, financially. They were in need. And so Paul, as he's on his journeys, right, every place he goes, right, he, he, he's administering the dispensation of grace to the churches of the, he went to the Gentiles. He started with the Jews and now he's going and he's going on these journeys. And as he's doing that, he's fundraising. He's mentioning the need that they have in this church in Jerusalem. And when he comes to Macedonia, if you want to know what churches are in this area, it's Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, those churches, when he got there and mentioned the need, I don't know if you caught it, but there was a tremendous response. And it encouraged Paul. And it should encourage us as we go through some of the principles that they followed that blessed and encouraged Paul that he's going to now use to hold up to the Corinthian believers and say, hey, just do what they are doing. They're doing great. They gave the way you're supposed to give. And if you look at the first principle of this, you see it perfectly in verse 1. And the principle is this. If we are to give authentically by the principle of grace, New Testament giving, grace giving, motives matter. That's point number one. Motives matter. They matter to God. And I don't know if you caught it in verse one, but the only legitimate motive for Christian giving is from the grace of God. Did you catch it? Brothers, I I want you to know this about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Why did they give? How did they give? They gave graciously, not at an obligation, not at a duty. They gave by the grace of God. Of God. They were touched and moved by the goodness of God, and they wanted to model that by giving. Isn't that brilliant? It's awesome. Remember grace? Remember the acronym G-R-A-C-E? Right? God's riches at Christ's expense. That somehow we can possess the riches of God through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? That's grace. I mean, come on. I know we're kind of having like a resurrection Sunday hangover, but that's awesome. Grace is awesome. A free gift, unrecompensed kindness and favor of God the Father through Jesus Christ. It should make you smile. It does me, the goodness of God through his grace. You see, the, no, the New Testament knows nothing about being legislated on duty and obligation to living, to, to giving. 
It's, it's appealing to grace, not to a percentage or a duty-bound thing. Rather, God wants your heart to be awakened by the grace of God, so then you model that. And grace isn't just forgiving. Isn't it for living? Yeah, it's how we're saved, right? We're saved by grace through faith. We're going to heaven. Well, you pull your card out every once in a while, and I'm going to heaven. Do you, do, could, don't you think we should be living and ordering our life in the sphere of grace? Everything. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We give because we've been given, right? We should be so changed. We should be such big givers because of what was poured on us. All of our life should be ordered in grace, not out of obligation. You can't pay grace back. In fact, it cheapens it when you try. And I am convinced that oftentimes we live our life with such a pale and anemic understanding of pure grace. Jesus Christ for you, you get riches, cost you nothing, and it cost him everything. We run around trying to pay it back. I wonder what God thinks about that. Or we give out a duty. Wrong motive by the grace of God. Sometimes I wonder what God thinks about when we do such things out of guilt in obligation, and out of duty, and out of fear. Here's what I think after thinking about this message for the last few hours. I think he'd probably say to you, keep your money. Keep your money. You think the God of the universe needs your money? Think he needs your paper and your coins? The one who made it all and is holding it all together by his power? No, he needs your heart. <laughs> yeah, you need to give. He doesn't need it. I think we need a new understanding of grace. It's a gift. And our response should not be guilt, obligation, or duty. Our response should be gratitude and thank, just, just a heart that is just so overwhelmed by how good God has been to you that you can't help but being a big, generous person. Amen. I remember when I taught my oldest son about grace. Eight, grade eight, just started wrestling. I got to be coach dad, right? And we were going to the state wrestling tournament. He had qualified his first year wrestling. Super proud of him. But it was just him and I driving up to Portland. We were going to go take the world by storm and be state champion, Right? And little Rai Rai, we were driving up there. It was so awesome. I can remember it. It almost brings a tear to my eye because it was such a special weekend for, for him and I. Not because of the wrestling, but because <laughs> wrestling's such a concentrated sport that it brings out a lot of raw stuff in people. It's hard to do something on your own out there in front of people wearing a singlet and everything. <laughs> and sometimes not doing as good as you can. You got to deal with it. So right out there. Well, we drive up there with Ryan and Coach Dad, and we go up there, and we go rolling into Woodburn High School to check in, and what was there was a big table of sweatshirts. And he was just getting into wrestling, so he just went right towards this gear, right? And, and we looked at the price tag, and he's like, 
it's okay, dad. You don't have to buy it for me. And I'm like, yeah, that is pretty expensive. I mean, it was like $80 for a sweatshirt. You know how they do that stuff, right? I'm like, all right, hey, Ryan, why don't you go in the gym and warm up? And I'll come in in a few minutes and I'll make sure all your stuff's working before we go out there and compete, okay? So, okay, he went out there. And what did I do? I clubbed the guy and stole the sweatshirt, right? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I went out to my car and I got a credit card and I paid $80 for a sweatshirt. And I got that sweatshirt and all the time, just that father inside me was, I can't wait to see his face. He's gonna be so surprised. He wanted that sweatshirt so bad. And I can't wait to see him look like a little wrestler out there with a sweatshirt. And I brought it in that gym and gave to him his big old smile. Just, he looked the part, right? Unfortunately, someone forgot to tell his opponents that he was pretty good because he didn't have a good day and the day was rough. And I remember the drive home where his dreams and his hopes were just crushed. And he's wearing the sweatshirt in the car. And I've had my dreams crushed by that sport before, so I didn't say anything. So, yeah, I'm just driving. But finally, the floodgates open, right? Ah, oh, I'm sorry, I let everybody down. You know, just, you know, how, you know, all the second guessing and what we could have done. And, and I'm just listening. And at the end of the conversation, he says, and by the way, dad, I'm gonna give you back that sweatshirt. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you think I gave you that sweatshirt because of your performance? Did you think this extravagant $80 sweatshirt came because you're a really good wrestler? And we got to talk and told him the reasons why a father wanted to give you something. It's because I love you, and I want to bless you, and I want to see you smile before you wrestle because you're going to be crying in a few minutes, right? <laughs> I want you to open up and have some fun out there and not quench your breath. I wanted to see you smile. That's why I bought you that. I wanted to bless you. In such a pale and anemic version of that gift that you want to give this back to me, so we got to talk about God's grace and why he gives us stuff and how we could never pay back or give back any, any sweatshirts, you see? Amen? How, I wonder how offensive that is to God. I think he probably feels a lot like I did. Oh, you, young man, you do not really get the depths of my love for you if you think you have to give that back. Amen? What's given in grace is given graciously. No strings attached. It's a gift of God, not of works. You cannot work it back. You simply, what Paul's getting at, what a great motive. It's the only legitimate motive. You want to be a big giver? Let that sink into your heart. Just the depths of God's grace and the gem that it is and the hope that that gives you and how it changed everything in your life and your heart cannot help but start thinking about giving back to God through blessing other people that have less than you, amen? That's the appeal to this. Second thing you see in verse two, all, not only did they have motives that were proper, the grace of God and motives, motives matter, but number two, they weren't limited by their circumstances. Check it out. 
Do you want to see their circumstances? I don't know if you caught it. They were in severe test of affliction. I don't write that eloquently when I'm in a jam, but I don't think that sounds very good, does it to you? Severe test of affliction, their extreme poverty, and it all overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Listen, they ignored all the legitimate excuses not to give. They were poor and they were in a pinch. They were being afflicted, persecuted. They didn't have anything. Did you hear me? They did not play the victim. If there's one thing in culture right now that I feel like an old grumpy man, get off my lawn kind of guy, is that everybody wants to be a victim. So I'm going to tell you right now, get off my lawn. (laughs) These guys were not a victim, even though they were persecuted, they were discriminated against, they were extremely poor, and they didn't take that way out. It said all of this gave way to a wealth of generosity. In their poverty, they turned it into wealth. By what? Having a heart that wanted to give. It changed everything. Have you ever been so poor that you felt wealthy? That's the idea, right? Is that in their affliction and their poverty, They gave what they had, and they felt rich about it. Don't be limited by your circumstances. They weren't. We'll get there a little bit later in some other principles, but you don't need to be wealthy to give. Everybody goes through stuff. There's ups and downs financially. We'll see. The the Lord gives, and he takes, right? He takes it away, and he gives. And there's times that you're pitching, and there's times when you're catching, and all that's okay, But don't forget the motive, but also don't look at your situation as disqualifying you to be a giver of your time and treasure. There's always something you can give, whether it's finances, whether it's the treasure of your time, right? Be creative, but be a giver and don't be a victim. There's a lot of poor people in the world, right? And if you're not poor, it might be coming to you soon, as we'll see. It could happen. Don't look at the stock market or anything else or the cost of milk, right? Third third principle, true grace-giving should be an act of volunteerism. It should come out of your own heart. It shouldn't be somebody pressing on you. There should be no thermometers up here, okay? It should be out of your own heart, and you see that with this phrase here, of their own accord. They begged earnestly for the opportunity or the privilege, literally, of taking part in the relief of the saints to help these believers up in Jerusalem, There's a great verse in the next chapter. We'll cover next week, chapter 9, verse 7. It says, each one should give as he proposes in his own heart, not grudgingly or out of obligation. Why? Because God loves what? 
a cheerful giver. It's got to be your idea. And that's what I saw here. They did it, what? From their own accord. Paul didn't say, you know what? Lay a guilt trip on him. You got to give your 10%. He's not saying any of that. He's saying grace is grace. And out of your heart, they started welling up something what I call volunteerism. And if you really want to know what makes this church go, and some of you are sitting here, it's you guys. It's the volunteers. There's some gifted pastors and teachers here, no doubt. But what makes this thing go is the heart of a volunteer. And don't ever underestimate it. And that's what Paul's saying. When it's your own idea and you're volunteering, in a way, God has deputized you to do something through the power of his grace and his love, and it breaks you, and now you're going for it. Don't ever, under, don't ever underestimate that. It's not a, something you can buy. It's not a paycheck. It's coming from my heart, and it's real, and it's authentic, and it caused them to give beyond their means, it says. They counted it a blessing. They looked on giving as a privileged if you caught that, they begged earnestly for the favor or the privilege of participating. And isn't that a mark of a heart that has truly been touched by grace, that you look as giving, not as something to ignore or look the other way, or pretend you didn't hear the need, but that's something that it's a privilege to model the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and re-giving that to someone. Amen? You see, these guys didn't have anything. They had to beg to participate. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul's like, you know, I'm on the wrong side of the tracks right now. These guys are down and out. There is a need up in Jerusalem, but it's okay. Those guys on the other side of the tracks, you know, the ones in the gated communities, we're going to go fundraising there. And his greatest fundraising efforts came in the poorest areas. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a blessing? must be an act from your own heart as an act of volunteerism. Don't ever underestimate that. The fourth and final thing I see here is in the last verse. It's they had the right priority or perspective in giving, and it's very important. Check it out. You see it in the phrase right here. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of the God, they gave to us. Priorities. They, they would, I would call this like triage. They triage. Okay, first things first. Let's have priorities here. The first thing Paul said they did was they gave themselves to the Lord and all their stuff. They made up in their mind, everything's God's. That's what they did. And then they said, well, if everything's God's, then I'm just going to dispense God's stuff. And you, you, you loosen up your grip on, on stuff, don't you? A little bit. It's not mine. It's really God's. You know, I can loan this out because really it's God's. I can write a check because really I've already given myself and all my stuff to God. You see? It's all his. The breath in your lungs is his. How can what in your 401k can't be his? 
How can it be possible? We owe him everything. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt we could never have paid and can never pay off, ever. So what now? Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's all yours. It's all yours and then some. Help me by the power of your spirit. See the need and meet it. May I be your hands and feet and just be a gracious giver with my time and my treasure. Make me a big, magnanimous person that has a generous heart. And there's a lot of ways that shows and it's not all about money. Amen? Be a generous person with the way you forgive. Be a generous person, yes, with your money. Be a generous person with your stuff, with your boat, with your car, with your house, with your barn, with your tractor. It's okay, it's his. Amen? That's, I think, the point here. So the Macedonians... They've become this model for other churches as they gave in a gracious way, as they really modeled the gospel is what they did. They walked around as little models of the gospel, not legalism, but gospel grace. They're they're mirroring it with their generosity by having the proper motives for not being the victim, not seeing their poverty as an excuse to give, right? Right? by their own hearts having proper volunteerism to give and finally giving themselves. That's what they did. And now Paul holds them up to the Corinthian believers, starting in in verse six. He holds them up and say, hey, listen, I'm not gonna make you feel bad, but these guys did it right. I'm gonna appeal to their motive. They use love and grace. I want you to show the same earnest graciousness as they did. Check it out in verse six. Accordingly, verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also in the giving. And I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I don't know if you caught the appeal there to the Corinthians, but it's grace in love. He said he didn't command them. Uh, hey, I could make you do this. I'm not, I'm not telling you. I'm not going to bring the thermometer. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want you to prove your earnestness. I want you to prove that your love is genuine, just like they did. He's saying no pressure, no guilt, no demand, no command. But this argument, the Macedonians gave because their love was genuine. They were moved by grace. You can demonstrate that too. Do what they did. That's all he's saying. And I love the way he talked. Either Paul's sarcastic, and maybe he is, or Paul is just the master motivator that every father and every boss and every wife and every husband should also be watching the way he communicates. I don't know if you caught this little slice here, but he says, but as you excel in everything. Now, did these guys excel in everything? Have you guys been paying attention the last few months when we've been going through this church? 
This is a train wreck of a church. So is he being sarcastic that they excel in everything, in faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in all earnestness, in your love? I don't know. Was he being sarcastic? Heck, I don't know. Some commentators say, yeah, he was sticking it to him. He was saying, hey, since you're so good at this other stuff, I've been taking you behind the woodshed and whipping you for. Since you're so good at that, why don't you be good at this in a different way? Why don't you give? Why don't you do something right? I don't know. I don't think so. Paul's too gracious. He's too awesome. He's motivating them. He knew they were immature and insecure. And if you've been following along, they are. So he said, hey, guys, you guys are good at some things. You're pretty good. Why don't you be great at this? Why don't you be a gracious giver? And that's pretty, that's pretty effective communication, amen? It's giving that compliment sandwich, right, to your kids that are a train wreck. You're like, you did some things good. <laughs> now let's do this better, <laughs> I think is what he's talking about. He appeals to the love and the grace as a motive, not commanding. And that all leads us up to what I would consider the greatest example of grace giving that the world's ever seen. It's the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he lays out in verse nine. The Macedonians, pretty awesome for the reasons we talked about. But now he's setting us up for love and grace. And the supreme example of gracious giving is right here in verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. That's a great verse. It requires little fleshing out, don't you think? But since we're on the heels of Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday, give me a little grace. He was rich, the Bible says. And if you want to know a reference, it's Philippians chapter 2, where you see the eternal Son of God, right? Creator of the ends of the earth, enjoying throne and glory with the Father and the Spirit, loving perfectly, didn't need you and I. But for love's sake, what did he do? He took that first giant step down into humanity, joined himself with a lowly Nazarene, hid his glory and his divinity in a lowly Nazarene called Jesus, and suffered by our side because we needed it. Rich to poor, CEO to the janitor, but not just the janitor, He humbled himself and made himself even poorer to the point of death, remember? Oh, and not a king's death, but what? The death of the cross, a criminal's death, a penalty he did not deserve. Did it all on that cross, all the while, humbly, bankrupt, poorly for you and I, so that we could raise with him on Sunday, amen? Raise with him and have the glory and riches that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We have been made rich because of grace, because the ultimate supreme example. Can I get an amen? Are we not wealthy just for one moment? Can you stop and just, I know we just got out of, and you may be hung over on Resurrection Sunday, but you can't get enough of it, can you? It's the power. It's the power of the resurrection. King, you've been made rich. When he made that public proclamation of victory over sin, death, and Haiti, everything that's holding you back, everything you are in and of yourself, now you're everything in Jesus Christ. The riches of God in Jesus Christ. Just to name a few, do you know that in Jesus Christ you have no condemnation? Amen. That you've been made near to God. You cannot get any closer than him. Now he indwells you. Amen. Do you know that you've been robed in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? And that is independent of how you feel about yourself in the dirty sin you've been woven around in all week. You have been made perfect in Jesus Christ. When God the Father looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Can I get another amen? Am I talking to the right people? You guys are hungover from Easter. Hmm, the story of Jesus, the ultimate story of giving. That's our story, our savior, our sin bearer, our reconciler to God. That's what we look at. And when you see that in that really, I'm getting fired up. I'm not going to lie to you. When that really sinks into your heart, how can you not be generous? God help us all for being small people and not sharing a meal or a vehicle or a word or the precious gift of your time because you're too busy. Oh, I'm not pressing on you. I want you to look to Jesus as Christ and how Jesus and God looks at you, and maybe that might rise up in you a magnanimous generosity that will change your life and the people around you. Amen? That's the point. That's the point. He goes on to make a few more points in verse 10 through 12. He makes a big point about giving. And the point is this, if you're taking notes, is that give what you have when you see the need. The amount is not important. The motive is more important than the amount. We get hung up on this. We don't give sometimes because we don't think it's the right amount. Check this out. And in this matter, I give my judgment, verse 10. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also you desired to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness is desiring it may be matched with the completion of it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Here's the situation. Over a year ago, Titus went down there and fundraised, and they promised some money. And now a year later, they hadn't paid, and they hadn't come through, so he's coming back. And Paul says, listen, why are you holding back? 
And I think the reason they were holding back is they didn't have the money anymore. They didn't have what they thought, they, what they promised. And Paul says this, finish what you started. Give what you have because there's a need. Don't worry about the amount. If the readiness is there, the amount doesn't matter. And isn't that beautiful? Again, God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart of givingness that's been changed by grace. So he wants you. He, 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 you need to give <laughs> is what he's saying. And I don't care how much it is, Paul says, just give it. So the principle is give what you have when you see the need. The amount is not important. Amen? Yeah, we look at giving wrong. Jesus got it right, and it sets us all straight. There at the treasury, watching people give, big hitters came up, needle movers, thermometer lookers, bell ringers, dumping money after money and changing the church that they were in. But, but then came an old woman. Remember what she gave? She had two copper coins that didn't even amount to one penny. And Jesus stood back to his disciples. You see that widow? She gave the most. She gave the most because her heart was right. And she gave what she had. Not out of her excess. She gave what she had. Amen? We got to be careful when we talk about the generosity of philanthropists. And I'm so Happy we have wealthy people that give. Don't get me wrong. Please, don't get me wrong. I got a place for you to write a check to. I got, I got needs here at this church. Don't get me wrong. But there's power in a lot of little money because it changes people. And you don't, feel, you don't have to feel discriminated against because you don't got money to give. You got money to give. You got time to give. You got things to give. You got mentoring to give. You got also, just come find me. I'll plug you in. You don't have to have money. I'll, I'll, I'll find something for you to give. And it's good for you. And it's good for Edgewater. It's good for the kingdom. Amen? We got to be careful because Jesus' economy is different than ours. The widow gave the most. Finally, We'll have another principle in verse 13. And it's this. The giving and taking is arranged by God. Sometimes you pitch and sometimes you got to catch, right? Sometimes you're the givey, sometimes you're the giver. It's okay. It's all arranged by God and it's all God's, so it doesn't really matter. It's, we're just passing his money around from one pocket to the other. Check it out, verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, literally the matter of equity, your abundance at this present time should supply their needs so that their abundance then may supply your need, that there may be equity as it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now listen, people have done bad things with this passage. This isn't, this isn't a tip of a hat to socialism 
or communism, that we all have to share everything in common. It's not talking about equity in outcome or response. It's talking about, it's talking about uh, not an equity in, in, in an amount. It's talking about an equity and a fairness in responding. Respond and help when you have the opportunity, when you see someone in need. Because as he says, you then may become in need and someone can help you. The fairness is in the response. We should respond. That's the fairness. Sometimes you're going to be the guy getting some help, whether it's money or time or treasure in whatever way that pans out. And sometimes you're going to be the person that gets it. Sometimes you're going to give it. Paul's saying this. Hey, listen, you Corinthians believers, for some reason right now, you have more than you need. So why don't you, because it's all God's money, why don't you help some people who are in need? Because I know you have the money. And then when you become in need, they can help you. That's all he's saying. And he supports it by Exodus chapter 16, you, you see a quote here. It says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Do you remember the story in Exodus chapter 16? It's when God's chosen people, the Israelites were wandering and God started feeding them the bread from heaven. Remember, what is this? The manna, right? What is this? The manna? It would come in the morning covered in dew. And you remember the rules about the manna? Hey, mango, gather, gather as much as you want or as little. You can eat as much as you want. But remember, you couldn't hold it over or it rotted and turned to worms. God's saying, I'm going to give you every morning the bread from heaven. We're going to give you just what you need. Take as much as you need. Go ahead. And I don't know if you remember that first day they went out and gathered it. It said some, it's this quote, some gathered a lot. And some gathered a little, but they all got full. The guy that had too much, he had nothing at the end. The guy who didn't have enough got the excess from the other guy, so it was okay. <laughs> God's saying, listen, your resources are kind of like all from me. And I want you to share it, if and when you have the opportunity. And the blessing behind that is, is when that happens, when you're in need, Hopefully, someone in a fair, fair exchange would make an effort to respond to you. Not in equal amounts, but in the best way they can. I think that's what he's saying. Giving is always arranged by God. It's his manna. Amen? God is behind all we have. <laughs> the last part of this chapter gives us two more principles of giving. And it doesn't have to do with the giver has to do with the give E. And specifically when churches receive funds and when we fundraise by, even in this church, putting money in a basket or going online and contributing, that there should be some safeguards from our perspective real quickly. Verses 16 through 19, and we'll skip down to 22 and 24. Let me read them for you. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother 
who is famous among all the churches for the preaching of the gospel. And only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. Skipping to verse 22. And with them, we're sending another person, our brother, whom have we tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner, my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are our messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. I don't know if you caught it. There's three men there, three different men. You have Titus, uh, Paul's um, associate, letter bearer, going down there, going to collect the money. Good man. Titus is going to go pick up some money. And he's bringing with him two other guys, a brother who is, I guess, a famous brother for preaching the gospel. I don't know who that is. You can read about it. Some people think it's Luke. Some people, it's just guesses. No one knows. If God wanted us to know, he would have said who it was. It's a guy that was famous for preaching the gospel. I like that. <laughs> okay, they took him, and then they took one more person. You see it down here in verse 22. The brother whom we tested and found earnest. So you have three good men collecting this money and going together to deliver it. And the message is this. Giving should be in the control of several responsible individuals. Don't give to one person or one family in a church setting. I'm very leery about that. When, when you give here, you can rest assured there's accountability. There's no one ever left alone with money. There's accountability. At least two, a lot of times three people, not only counting, reconciling, depositing. Not one person could just write a check and go to Reno. Your money is being accounted for at safety. This is not willy-nilly giving. We, we really here at Edgewater feel like it's the widow's might. It's our responsibility to be safe. There's no tomfoolery going on. There's no dishonesty. We want everything to be protected, and we want everybody to be honest and forthright. And that's the next point. When you look at the verses we skipped, it talks about this. Giving should be handled with transparency. And Paul says a, a, a nice little verse, and it's what we do here, and it's what every church should do. It says, we take this course, verse 20, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. Blameless. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. He's saying this, listen, I know we're doing the right thing. I know we're not doing anything sleazy with this money. I know before God that, but I also care what it looks like in front of man. Any organization you give to that doesn't have pure transparency, don't give to them. There should be transparency. There should be uh, a legitimate concern for accounting for the money and protecting not one person. So we protect people from embezzlement and wasting your money that you give, that I give, right? So those are just two principles. So to summarize today, real quickly, three principles as we roll into next week. One is, first one, forgiver. Motives are important much more important than the amount that you give. Why matters? God reads the heart. 
That's the first principle. Why you give is more important than what you give, but give something, okay? He wants to change your heart. Two, opportunities to give are arranged by God. So whatever position you're in, catching or pitching, participate in it. Graciously receive if you need it. There's no shame in that, but also graciously give if it's your turn. Pretty simple, right? And thirdly, collection, and this is more to the speaking of the leadership here, should be transparently handled by several people. Those are your three principles I think we get out of tonight. Amen? Amen. So Father, thank you for the riches that you've embedded in our very hearts through the indescribable gifts of your son, Jesus Christ. May this gift of grace in your son, as we're coming off Resurrection Sunday, may that truly change the way we look at our finances and about our possessions and about our time and about everything, our time and treasure. May it change the way we view that is not something to be small about and to hoard, but something to shine out and model your gospel and your love and your goodness to us. So be with us. Be with these people. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.